the power of true kindness. Uh, it's kindness is a uh, a really <coughs> amazingly uh, powerful energy, um, and uh, and I. I put the uh, the word true kindness because we're talking about um, a kindness which um, is really coming from mindfulness, from presence, from the heart, um, and and even further bringing it into the depth of a spiritual practice. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when we talk about kindness, it has many different expressions, uh, many different aspects. Um, we explored just that simple acceptance, just accepting that something is, that something within ourselves is, um, and something within our life accepting that it is and and that is a a basic kindness acknowledging the existence of something and opening to it and accepting it <clears throat> we can uh, we can say that kindness also could be expressed um, as a sense of goodwill goodwill toward ourselves, first of all, goodwill toward others. We could use the word friendliness. Um, in, in, there's a practice called loving friendship or loving friendliness, uh, which we cultivate. So kindness is natural. It's, it arises spontaneously. It's not something that we need to... Uh, pull in from outside ourselves. We all have this capacity to be kind. And, um, and we feel kind spontaneously uh, toward some beings and not toward others. And we feel kind or accepting <coughs> toward some things and not toward others. And we feel accepting and kind toward... Uh, some aspects of ourselves and not toward others, as we explored in that in that opening exercise. So, um, so in practice, we cultivate, we arouse this quality of kindness. There's a word um, that's used to to express the <clears throat> the process of um, of meditation practice, uh, another Pali word, bhavana, which means to bring into being. So we have this capacity to uh, to bring into being and to cultivate and develop certain qualities within ourselves. And you know, in as I mentioned earlier, uh, it actually does change our brain, um, and we develop these these qualities, these habits, these responses um, of being kind and open-hearted and uh, having an attitude of goodwill. So in order to develop kindness, we need the capacity to be present, to be aware in the moment of what's happening in our experience moment to moment. Um, so what is arising? Uh, is judgment arising? Is, is fear arising? And so on. Um, and to cultivate kindness, goodwill, and, and friendship. So this, uh, this quality is not necessarily experienced as as a strong emotion, you know, of, you know, like a, a well, welling up of, of love, it, it could be 
experienced as an intention. Uh, an intention of goodwill, an intention of kindness, of friendship toward ourselves and toward others. So when I talk about true kindness, I'm I'm not talking about, sometimes people, including ourselves, um, do nice things uh, for others with an agenda, right? We have an agenda. Uh, or they have an agenda, and we know that they have an agenda. They, you know, sometimes people are nice because they want something. And um, and so, so talking about true kindness is, is not talking about that kind of uh, self-serving in having an agenda. Um, it's given freely without strings attached. Um, and... Um, And it includes the heart. So it's not only a sense of, I should do this. You know, it might start with a a thought, I should do this. I should help this person, or I should loan, or I should give, or I should donate. You know, it might start with a thought of, I should, like maybe an ethical imperative, or... But but it also... uh, it then becomes uh, something from the heart. And, um, you know, and, and it, could be, uh, it could be generosity, it could be appreciation, you know, saying how much you appreciate somebody or, or something expressing gratitude. Um, it could be... Uh, an expression of um, of compassion or love or appreciation. Um, sometimes, in in kindness, <coughs> when we when we uh, when a thought of kindness arises in the mind, um, I found that sometimes the ego can jump in and second guess us. You know, it's like, oh. Would they really want me to, you know, express that? Or maybe I'm imposing myself, or, or, uh, or maybe they'll think I'm stupid, you know, or maybe I'm being too vulnerable. Um, so the, the ego, got, you know, sometimes an impulse, kind of a movement from the heart of kindness arises, and then, and then we second guess ourselves, and and uh, we say, oh no, oh. but but. We're really, um, that's the mind coming in and uh, kind of reaffirming this false sense of separation. And so, so it, it, I, I've found over the course of my practice to listen to those, those, first, <coughs> those first movements of the heart and to there's an expression from Chugyam Trumpa, uh, Rinpoche, a, a Tibetan teacher uh, from the 20th century, an important uh, figure in, in uh, North American Buddhism. And he said, first thought, best thought. First thought, best thought. So, like, listen to that first thought. And then sometimes the ego jumps in after we do an act of kindness. Yeah. Oh, I'm such a good person, or, or, or maybe, or maybe I shouldn't have done that, or all of these ways that the mind jumps in. So, so kindness is really a movement of the heart, and um, we need the mind, we need the heart, uh, but, but in opening up and allowing kindness, it's. Um, it's opening to the movements of the heart. <clears throat> so, um, so what is the power of kindness? So I want to talk about it first in terms of um, the, the liberating power 
within ourselves of of kindness toward ourselves, acceptance and and kindness in our practice. In mindfulness practice, uh, we calm and we steady the mind. And, um, And the mind, you know, that driven energy, the restless energy of the mind, the compulsive um, wanting and resisting and all of these habits of the mind um, become apparent to us because what's happening is rather than being at the effect of these energies, we make a commitment to be still. We make a commitment to still the body and we make a commitment to still the mind and pay attention. And so all of a sudden, we begin to notice buzz, 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 you know, all around this, all this restlessness, all this drivenness. So the power of kindness is when we, first of all, are aware, become aware. You know, at the same time, I talked about the tranquility practice. We're training the mind to not get carried off, to come back, to be attentive. And we're giving all of these energies a space to be recognized, a space to be known, and a space to come to rest, to not continue the drivenness. So... So the power of this kind awareness, and, and, and they're very intertwined. The mindfulness, some, sometimes, you know, I've, uh, I, I sort of accidentally made up this, this word kindfulness, and then I saw, oh, other teachers have used that word too. Mm-hmm. You know, kind, so it's, it's a kind of kindfulness. Um, yeah, they, they're, they're really interwoven, the mindfulness and the kindness. Because when we're, when we're judging the mind, when we're judging all those driven energies, we're really setting up a subtle resistance. And we're setting up that, that kind of self-rejection that I talked about earlier on, about how we have this idea of what, you know, what it is to begin to wake up in our lives and we have this idea that I'm going to become this, you know, perfect person, this ideal person. You know, the mind never gets angry, never feels lonely, never feels sad, uh, never wants something uh, that I, you know, maybe uh, I know it's not going to really be good for me, but I want it anyway. Uh, all of these things, these human um, expressions... Um, you know, are are seen, are 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 received, are and they're and and when we give it space, when we give it space in in mindful awareness, kind awareness, we recognize that when we're not driven by them, when we're not at the effect of them that they do um, just, they come and go. They, they move through us. When we're not grasping them with the mind and planning, how am I going to get this? Or how am I going to avoid this? Or how am I going to get rid of this? Or how am I going to combat this person or thing in my life? When we're not kind of drawn into the energy and creating a whole story around it, but we're just giving it space to be recognized, received, and move through us. They do. They do. These energies do move through us. So that's, that's a really important power. That's a really important um, uh, effectiveness. In, in our practice that 
that uh, kindness gives us. <clears throat> so another, another way that kindness is really powerful within ourselves, in our practice, I'm talking, still talking here about about cultivating this quality of friendship, of kindness, of goodwill toward ourselves. Uh, so, and this is something that we cultivate by, you know, again, seeing, seeing all the different aspects of ourselves as they manifest and having compassion and forgiving ourselves and letting go of those, uh, that drivenness, um, as we can, maybe we're not, maybe we can't always let it go, but then, you know, recognizing that um, that we, we stop feeling so divided within ourselves, you know, this, and again, this was something that we, we touched on in the opening self-acceptance exercise, like these and the exercise itself talked about it in those terms of there's this aspect of myself and there's that aspect of myself and there's that aspect of myself. But, but the reality is that, you know, we're not. We just, you know, different, different pieces that we are, uh, we manifest in many different ways in our lives. But there's an undivided nature uh, within, you know, that, that we are, um, we are not uh, kind of in pieces. And we can, in the, in the space of knowing, in the space of receiving, in the space of allowing, in the space of, of, of kindness, of kind-heartedness toward ourselves as we meditate, we can see these different manifestations and yet we find that place of of stability um, which is a kind of a, a ground where we discover that we're not divided into different parts. So, you know, when we, as we cultivate love for ourselves, uh, acceptance for ourselves, and, and really cultivate this quality of, of friendship, we, we want ourselves to be happy. We want ourselves to be well. We want ourselves to be free of suffering. And, um, and this is so nourishing. Like, it's a balm for the heart. To to uh, to follow through on what is wholesome for ourselves, to follow through on what is nourishing and healing, and to take care of ourselves, um, and and we begin to recognize ways in which you know we're not doing that in our lives and in our minds. So ways in which, first of all, we're judging ourselves. Um, we maybe have perfectionist. Um, habits of mind, uh, ways in which we're taking care of everybody else but ourselves, um, ways in which we're uh, driving ourselves beyond what is what feels good, what feels right and balanced, in order to be productive and be, you know, perhaps seen as praiseworthy by others. So we begin to see the ways in which we're, we're being really hard on ourselves. So, so uh, just this kind-heartedness that we cultivate can, can begin to shift um, our motivations in our lives. So rather than feeling, you know, I have to, I must, I've got to uh, do this and do that and um, be everything for everyone, 
we begin to recognize that the nourishing of the source is really important. And um, uh, and just just having uh, this is just another way of saying what I've already said, but. Um, you know, our minds are so fickle, our minds are so changeable, our minds are so deluded sometimes. And um, and so, you know, we can cultivate this attitude of friendship toward our minds, you know, that, that we can see the mind as just, you know, it's the mind in mindfulness practice, there are different objects of attention, and the mind becomes an object uh, our thoughts, our our habit patterns, the ways that we talk to ourselves all the time and have inner dialogue, and or are always talking to to somebody else. I I discovered in on a meditation retreat early on in practice that you know, every time I was doing something, I was kind of even the moment I was doing it, I was describing it to somebody else or I was telling somebody else about it like thinking about you know like if I saw something walking through the woods not e- even before I would take it in and experience it I would I would be oh I got to tell whoever about this and you know and how I experienced that and I you know I saw how my mind was just so habitually oriented toward you know giving my experience away and and I I really felt a lot of compassion for myself at that moment because I thought you know I'm not even taking in and experiencing something and I'm already feeling I have to give it to somebody else in order to somehow make it valid so that was a, an important insight for me and I just began stopping and taking things in and you know just letting the mind be quiet you know um it was a deep habit that had to be let go uh so so really um yeah this kindness this compassion toward the mind that's so fickle and not always acting in our best interest um, habits of mind that are painful, uh, and um, and and this kindness. So so when we when we discover that we have, you know, a habit of extreme aversion or judgment towards certain people or kinds of people. Um, we can actually turn toward that habit of the mind with kindness. And, and when we turn toward it with kindness, we recognize that this ill will and hatred that we're holding is actually uh, very, very painful, that we're causing a lot of pain for ourselves in perpetuating this habit of mind. So we turn toward it with with kindness, and we let ourselves experience what does it feel like to feel such ill will and hatred toward somebody or toward ourselves, and um, and that begins to shift it, begins to unlock it, it begins to loosen it, it begins to dissolve it, and we begin to learn that you know, how painful it is and how it perpetuates suffering in our lives. So, the kindness, cultivating in kindness toward ourselves, is really, uh, works together. It's, it's, you know, I'm talking about it in different ways, but it works together with cultivating attitudes of kindness toward other beings, toward... Uh, other people, people that we know, people that we don't know, uh, other forms of non-human beings, and and even kindness 
to uh, the world around us, the different life forms that are around us, trees, um, water, rivers. But we'll start with people. That's, that's I think, the uh, maybe the most challenging and, uh, and also uh, very significant. Um, so, when we, as we cultivate compassion and acceptance toward ourselves, um, in a very natural way, we begin to cultivate more compassion and acceptance toward others, because um, we can see that somebody who is uh, who is driven in some way is actually suffering because we've touched that in ourselves how we how how our unskillful habits of mind create suffering for ourselves <clears throat> with others kindness just as it it helps us to accept aspects of ourselves Kindness dissolves the boundaries. When we turn towards somebody that when we that we see as you know somehow different, distant, and and we have habits of seeing you know we walk taught we walk along the street and and you know habitually we see other beings as um, you know maybe other. You know, they're other, they're, and we may see them as obstacles in our way, you know, depending on our mood, depending on our frame of mind. We may be rushing and think, oh, the sidewalk is so crowded. Uh, but we do see them as other, and, we, and we're not necessarily naturally friendly and open-hearted toward the people around us. And so... So with kindness, when we cultivate kindness, and we look around us and we say, you know, this, this person also, look at this person, you know, they, they have, you know, suffering in their lives. They also want to feel a sense of peace and well-being. They also want to feel loved. They want to feel content. They want to, to have love in their lives, just like me. Just bringing that thought to our mind can just dissolve that sense. I mean, not completely, but it can, it can soften and perhaps make more permeable that sense of otherness, that you're outside me, you're different, you're maybe even, you know, in some way a threat or in my way, or competing with me. So it's, um, the word kind uh, has the word in it, uh, kin. And it has uh, the same root, that when we feel kind, we are recognizing our kinship. We're recognizing that we're a family, we're a human family, um, that we, we share so much. And we learn kindness in our families. Families are often very difficult training grounds <laughs> for learning kindness because we haven't always received kindness in our families. We haven't always had our needs met in our families um, and and often a lot of the self-kindness that we need to offer ourselves is healing and nourishing those places that were wounded and were not nourished in our families of origin. And in doing this, we can often begin to recognize and have compassion for the ways in which those people in our families are also wounded and unable to love and, and why they were unable to give us what we needed at the time. 
So families are a, um, a real training ground for kindness. You know, I certainly, when I had my, when I had my first son, um, my first child, it was uh, a, a revelation for me how much I was able to love this being uh, that I loved and that, you know, cared for his life, like, as a priority even before my own, that I would be able to give my life for this uh, being. And um, it was a kind of a breaking open of my heart uh, to love more deeply. And... um, and so, you know, that sense of, that sense of love uh, in, you know, as a, as a mother, um, a child changes, a child grows, a child be, is always becoming somebody new. And, uh, and so we're always needing to, to find that way of loving and supporting that person. And it's, it's so obviously true in the parent-child relationship, but it's true in all of our relationships. It's true in our, in our spousal relationships, if we have those, if it's true in our friendships, it's true in our um, son-parent-daughter-parent relationships, our parents are aging, our parents are changing, they're new limitations, we're changing, we're aging, we're discovering limitation, our limitations and, and needing to live those out in a, the relationship with people around us. So, so mindfulness, being present to how we change, how we grow, how, how we're perhaps shrinking in our capacities in some ways. You know, and and bringing kindness to that. Um, mindfulness helps us see change. Mindfulness helps us accept change. Mindfulness helps us to recognize that change is happening and change is real. And can we accept it with kindness, with friendship, with grace? And another way that kindness is, um, is powerful in our relationships is that it allows people to, it invites people to be who they really are. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you can remember uh, a uh, a moment in which you were seen and you were received in your life. Um, you know, maybe a teacher, a teacher who was just kind-hearted and uh, and wasn't just always getting you to perform. Um, you know, for me it was Mrs. Bingley. Mrs. Bingley was my third grade teacher, and I had uh, I had moved um, when I was in second grade, and I had a really harsh <laughs> second grade teacher, and um, you know, and I often felt, uh, you know, just on the spot and needed to perform, and I felt embarrassed and isolated and. And Mrs. Bingley, I, I, you know, she just was so, just her being expressed such goodwill. And I think that's, you know, that's something that we can take in, in terms of uh, how we are with others. That it's not like we have to do a whole lot. It's not like we have to show up and, and make something happen. But 
but just to actually bring a space of kindness and the willingness to see someone and let them be who they are and accept them as who they are. And it's so powerful, I think, especially for kids, you know, that... uh, that we could just be that kind of loving space, loving space for a person. One of my favorite stories is um, uh, about Joanna Macy. Uh, Joanna Macy is a, uh, a, de- a teacher of deep ecology and, uh, and dharma, and um, uh, she's, very, she's an activist and a teacher. And she tells the story of um, when she... Uh, and her fiancé, uh, his name was Fran, um, she said she always, she always admired that he, it was such a feminine name, and, and, uh, and he, he was, you know, he had kind of had the willingness to take that vulnerability of a feminine name, and uh, so he, she and Fran went to, um, had decided to get married, and, and uh, they went to a friend who was also a minister, and they wanted to ask him to perform the ceremony. And he said, uh, you know, I have a blessing for you. He said, um, I wish that you may always be strangers to each other. Mm. So, uh, and the way he, that, that was put, it's kind of, oh, putting, kind of t- have to do a second take. And in that sense, just bring that curiosity that you would to somebody you're just meeting for the first time. A curiosity, that interest. Not assume that you know who that person is. But, you know, that interest. Give them, be a space in which they are received, welcomed, uh, called forth to be who they are. And they had a long and happy marriage. Um... So it's uh, so, and being who they are, also giving the space as we give to ourselves to bring what is also painful and difficult. And in cultivating that capacity to be open to what is difficult in ourselves, the painful thoughts, the reactive patterns, what's called in Jungian psychology the shadow. The shadow is what we don't want to see, what we don't want the world to see. You know, we want to, you know, we want to be the bright face. Uh, You know, we don't want to see the world to see how we feel insecure, how we feel um, maybe alone or or not enough, insufficient. And um, by giving space to all of that other stuff to be known, it increases our capacity to be empathetic to others, to tune in to what others may be feeling and be able to be um, a space of kindness to them. But just... um, to talk a little bit about kindness as a spiritual practice and as a um, as a force for positive change in the world. Um, so kindness so we practice kindness not only when it comes easily but also when it's difficult. And there's a practice that we'll do in the afternoon in which we, we cultivate loving kindness, friendship toward, we start with ourselves and then we open to uh, people we feel close to and then, and then people well, we feel kind of neutral about, maybe we don't, usually we don't know them very well. And then toward someone that 
it's hard to feel kind toward that person. It's hard to... They, we feel distant from them. We maybe, maybe it's hard to communicate with them. Maybe they, we feel they're very closed. Um, maybe, maybe you know, we we just find them very unpleasant to be with, or or even that they've hurt us in some way, and uh, and there are ways of working gradually toward. It's challenging to feel kindness toward people that have hurt us, but but we work toward that. So so we we open our hearts, we don't exclude from our hearts anyone, any being. And that's the spiritual practice. And I want to uh, I want to read you something that uh, I recently read in um, Lions War. It's a it's a magazine. It's on. You can get it online, and or you can subscribe to the print magazine. But it was a um, a conversation between Sharon Salzberg, who you might know as a uh, a very senior insight meditation teacher, and and she teaches a lot about loving kindness, and a Zen teacher named Angel Kyoto Williams. Um, uh, Angel is a um, uh, she's a black uh, lesbian Zen uh, I think she's a priest Zen priest and um, she's very involved in Dharma and activism and um, activism for you know systemic change in, in, in our society so, um, so Sharon Salzberg talks about uh, somebody that she knew way back in the in the seventies who was an activist, and this is a this is a conversation about the Dharma and social change, and um, and Sharon is talking about this person uh, who who worked with Martin Luther King Jr. in the civil rights movement, and this this friend uh, you know talks about you know, conversation that he had with Martin Luther King. And, and he said, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King used to say to me all the time, you've got to love everybody. Uh, and I used to say, this, the man used to say, no, I don't. I only have to love the people who are worth loving. And King would laugh and laugh, and he'd say, nope. You've got to love everybody. So, what what could it mean to love everybody? To love somebody that you actually don't like, that that maybe even you're going to protest against, that you're going to confront, that you're going to say, you know, what you're doing is harmful, but to be able to do that in love. So, um, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams says, You don't have to like anyone at all. People always tease me about this. I hardly like anyone, but I love everyone. And that is possible. In fact, it's the very thing that bridges the spiritual life and the activist life. So love is what I focused on because in social justice work, the only option is loving everyone. And so, you know, you might not be, you might not think of yourself as an activist or as being involved in social justice, but we're all living our lives. We're all living in communities. We're all living in families. We're all living in the world. We're all citizens. And so, you know, we want, you know, to in some way be a force for good in this world, in however we're living. Uh, The only option is loving everyone. Otherwise, there's no path to real change. Whether we're leaning towards the 
spiritual community or the activist community. What we need is the combination of a mind that wants to change the world and a mind that is steady, clear-seeing, and seeks from a place of love rather than from a place of anger. It's important not to get stuck in our own views. Even if you think yours is the right way, there's always someone else who has another way. Then you're in an irreconcilable conflict that doesn't get resolved, except, I think, through love. King and Gandhi understood that everyone holds some aspect of the truth. So when you're in pursuit of social justice, it becomes very difficult to hold on to your own idea of the truth. And that can be even talking about in a family. You know, uh, we have different ideas of what's true, what's right, what's better. You'd think that the more you're in pursuit of justice, the more you know what's right, but it's actually the opposite. Hmm. Happiness and suffering, right and wrong, like and dislike, these are the paradoxes that exist for all of us, balancing the inner life and the outer life. We think it's one or the other. Either we like and agree with people, or we're against them and we have to hate them. The question is, how do we exist in the space that holds both of these dualities at once? So, so this space is affirming our interdependency, this space which can hold dualities, hold seeming contradictions, affirms that, that all we are is in relationship. Everything that we are is in relationship to others, to something else. We don't exist apart from the rest of life. So, um, so I think I'm going to end with that. Uh, just that, and it's you know, it's not something that we. I mean, it's some. It's something that's a practice. That opening to the other. Um, valuing the other uh, and and dissolving that sense of you know this this clarity or this boundary um, which seems so solid allowing it to be more permeable more more soft more open um, brings us into this relationship of friendship and um, and it's a continual practice it's a deepening practice so uh, so I'd like to invite any comments or questions that you have uh, I've talked about a lot of things and um, uh, maybe things have come up in your <coughs> mind that that you'd like to ask yes I apologize for my ignorance what is Dharma Okay, thank you for uh, for asking that because sometimes I I use that word and yeah I don't explain it. Uh, no, it's not ignorance. It's very No, it's uh, what is dharma? Okay. Yeah, what is dharma? Dharma is a word I I used a few words from an, another language, Pali, uh, and I explained it. I forgot to explain dharma. Dharma is just means these teachings are. It, that come from Buddhism. I, I, there are many ways of using the word Dharma, but in the way I'm using it, it, mean, it just means teachings that come from Buddhism about how to be more awake, more mindful, more <coughs> happy and kind-hearted. So it's a way, it's a path. It's, it's a path. It's not just a philosophy, because a philosophy is more... Um, I mean, it includes a philosophy, but it's a pr- it's really a practice, and 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 the pra- the 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 Buddha as a teacher was a very practical teacher. You know, emphasized more um, kind of engaging rather than just thinking about things. So, so that's what I mean by Dharma. Yeah. Thank you for asking. 
You may not be the only one who wasn't sure. <laughs> other, other comments or questions? Anything that come up for you as a, as a, uh, a reflection as I was speaking? Something from your own experience, perhaps. We really benefit from hearing the perspectives of other people, as I've been saying. So, yes. I thought what you said about learning from the other that you might be in conflict with if you were going to a protest was really interesting that that they hold a part of the truth I think is what you said um, and I can see that sort of within a spectrum like this but when I think about what happened in Toronto with the man who basically perhaps did this act because he was angry with women I would very much struggle to see what truth there is there from the white supremacists and yeah that that's really challenging to me yeah yeah i think i think that is and it's so it's it's not to say that um that it's true in the sense that you know white supremacy is true or that um a male sense of entitlement, you know, to to women's bodies is true, um, but it's an experience. It's a it, it's a it's a perspective. It's a perspective that people hold from uh, from conditions, con- their conditioning, from perhaps. Um, physiological, psychological, uh, you know, um, harm or incapacities that somebody may be suffering. So, so to, to not, you know, you don't want to allow this in any way, um, even an iota, and at the same time, to have compassion for some being that is that is driven by that. So, yes, you know, to stand up to somebody who is saying hateful things and you know doing harm, and at the same time to recognize that that this is somebody who's who's driven by you know, very painful forces. Um, uh, So, because when we hate, you know, um, it uh, it does something to our heart to to hate. Um, I mean, you know, we might even need to, with a lot of energy, jump in and stop somebody from doing something that's harmful. Um, and uh, at the same time, can even though we might be energized and, you know, feel angry, you know, in the moment, because that's just what courses through our body when, when we're energized into, you know, fight or flight or that kind of thing. And yet... To hold, not to hold the person with hatred, um, as a practice. Yeah, it's what it's what the spiritual practice calls us to, and it's it may not it may be something that's you know challenging, you know, and we're not sure how we're going to get there. But it's it's it, it's it's what you know all it's there in all the spiritual. Traditions, you know, to to love your enemy. I could I could understand the compassion side. It was more, you know, it's just that the general concept of what is truth. People hold their own different truths, so maybe that was his truth. And there needs to be compassion. But it's it's just the general question of what is 
true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's true that in for both men and women, you know, this this person who was, you know, kind of caught up in this bizarre incel um, <coughs> ideology. You know, for men and women, there's a lot of pain having to do with sexuality and relationships. Uh, it is. I mean, not just for men, but for women too. And um, and so somehow that that's being. I mean, that's being expressed in a very distorted and harmful way. Yeah. You're welcome. That's, anyway, that's my take on it. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts, questions, reflections? Yes? Just reflections. I, I'm very grateful for the teaching today. Um, it's, it's hard work holding those kinds of dualities. And uh, the Martin Luther King quote, it's so true. And I, th I think of my, one of my favorite writers, Thich Nhat Hanh. He, he ministered to both sides, he and his monks, both sides of the conflict. And some might say, well, you know, what's that about? Well, that's the very difficult work for us to be doing with ourselves, mm -hmm. is to be able to contain the other or both, because everybody's hurting in those circumstances, and nothing seems to be able to come together and get better if we can, if we harden. Like I'm talking about myself, yeah. I think about how I hate watching TV that involves anything to do with American politics. I just can't even be in the room. My husband loves it, he absorbs it, it doesn't matter to him, he thinks it's entertainment. And I can feel my anger and all the things that I'm trying to work with and be at peace with completely blowing up in me. And I get angry and I'm thinking, well, that doesn't help anything at all. It doesn't help anything. And to me, the loving kindness practice that you're teaching is, is the way, but it's not simple and it's very tough because things arise constantly for me that I have to wrestle with. Um, about, I mean, we can all become the pirate. You know, I don't know if anyone's heard that story of the damsel and the, the pirate. And But, you know, if circumstances are a certain way, we could be the pirate as well as the, the young woman who has been harmed and abandoned. Is that the Thich Nhat Hanh story? It's difficult yeah. to take in, yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. beautiful poem that Thich Nhat Hanh wrote um, about, you know, the boat people. Mm -hmm. Who were um, who were escaping from Vietnam, and uh, and a lot of them were set upon by pirates, and um, uh, so there was there was this family, there was this boat with many many people on it, and and pirates attacked, and and this young girl was sexually assaulted, and and she. She jumped in the water, you know. Just, just you know, horrendous story. She jumped in the water and drowned. And uh, and then Thich Nhat Hanh wrote, you know, I am, I am the girl. I am the families. I am the pirate. You know, who grew up in circumstances that, you know, that hardened him, you know, to the suffering of others and just made it, drove him to this kind of activity and. And even, you know, in, in Thich Nhat Hanh, after 9-11, you know, he said the same thing. He said, I'm all the people in the buildings, I'm the buildings, I'm the planes, I'm the, I'm the, the people who crashed the planes into the buildings. Uh, you know, that we have in, within us the capacity, depending on the conditions of our lives, we have the capacity to to grow in many, many different ways, you know, to, to develop, evolve, devolve in many, many different ways. And we have these seeds within ourselves to recognize that and to have the humility to recognize that we're not above doing harmful actions to others.
Anyone else? Okay, thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.